The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a whole day's journey. And then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Jesus said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I pray that you have had a meaningful time celebrating in some way, whether in person or virtually, with family and friends this weekend. It's not a virtual celebration, even if it's online. It's really happening. It's what we have to do in this time of pandemic, difficult traveling realities. But if this Christmas was difficult for you, I also pray that you had the time and the space to grieve whatever brought you grief, whatever was difficult for you about this time. And most of all, I pray that you have had others that were there to sit with you or to talk with you, even through a screen, to listen to you and to support you. Really, my all-encompassing prayer is that everyone spent this Christmas embodying Jesus for one another, born on a Christmas morning. Just like we talked about with the children, I pray that you were able to put on Christ for others in your life. For those who are a part of the Christmas giving tradition with presents, did anybody get uh, the hottest item out there like Samuel did in our first reading from his mother? A linen ephod? Anybody? A linen ephod? No? No? Only Samuel? <laughs> I know it sounds like a strange concept. You don't even know what it is. Maybe it's in the realm of stocking stuffers like we do in America where we put some gifts, uh, Santa puts some gifts from uh, in, our, in these stockings. It's as if uh, it's in the same category as like getting fresh underwear maybe or socks from your parents for for Christmas. 
But as a young, there, but this linen ephod holds much greater symbolism and meaning than a new pair of socks at Christmas ever could. As a young priest in the temple, it was customary, as it was for all priests of any standing, to wear these linen ephods as a liturgical garment, a marker of their calling, if you will, sort of like pastors wearing white albs and stoles in uh, our tradition in the U.S., or like the, 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 Luther, the Luther robes that the pastors wear here in the Lutheran Church in Slovakia. All of them were made, though, of the same material, these linen ephods. And Hannah, Samuel's mother, is showing her continued devotion to her promise to God for blessing her with a child by gifting this to her son and to the work that he is called to. She remains committed to supporting him and serving the Lord by any means possible. And more than this gift being a symbol of religious leadership, it was the same material used in the temple, specifically for the veil that separated the holy from the holy of holies. As one theologian and professor at Wartburg Seminary in Iowa explains, it represents the firmament that separates heaven from earth the holy from the most holy. And for the early Christian church, movement through that veil either way was associated with the incarnation or the enfleshment, the being made into a body of our God through Jesus. Herein lies the important symbolism of Samuel's linen ephod, who went went on to become a great high priest, serving God in faith and devotion, as did all priests wearing the same liturgical garment. Because there is a holiness to the act of reaching beyond the veil in this relationship with our God, but it's not the only thing that defines our relationship or makes holy our relationship with God. That comes primarily through what God has done in and through us in our lives of faith whether you are a priest or not. But still, we have two intentional stories today about child prodigies, Samuel uh, in his time as a young boy priest in training, and it mirrors the story of Luke's gospel and the little 12-year-old Jesus, defying his parents' expectations about staying with them, remaining in the temple to learn and engage with educated minds. While we shouldn't expect these stories to be examples for us to mirror and to hope for our children, they do serve as an important purpose for understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because 12-year-olds acting as mature and wise as old priests and religious leaders, how unrealistic does that sound? Of course, I don't mean any offense to any of our pre-teenagers out there. But I've been in youth ministry a while, and I know uh, how typical 12-year-olds act. I have yet to come across anything remotely like the 12-year-old Jesus in this reading. Sure, I've been amazed by the wonder and the curiosity of kids, most of all their faith, at such a young age. But I haven't had parents coming to the church looking for them because they find them in the pulpit preaching sound theology to the masses because they just don't want to leave the sanctuary. 
Part of me doesn't know how I would even handle dealing with a 12-year-old like Jesus in our gospel reading. One who is totally engaged in every part of learning and life in the temple, always wanting to discuss theology and faith. This would be a very strange phenomenon with the 12-year-olds I am used to working with in ministry. But it would be a welcome and celebrated surprise, that is for sure. I'm not even intimidated by the divine authority aspect of Jesus. After all, many 12-year-olds think that they have divine authority. They feel pretty entitled most of the time, am I right? Uh, Parents or aunts or uncles, people that know. But rather, there is a deep well of understanding and thinking ability at such a young age. I am always amazed by that. So I have a lot of respect for Mary and Joseph, especially for reprimanding him and for not traveling back with him as the Passover festival ended. Because he in turn supplants any authority they are trying to exact over him by pointing out that he's serving God's purpose as the Son of God by remaining in the temple, by defying their authority. Ouch. Nothing hurts like a burn from the light of the world. More than the Gospel writer of Luke and the story of Samuel impress upon us the young wisdom of a standout 12-year-old, their stories are woven together to tell us something very important, Samuel and Jesus. They are figures that are meant to stand out and not be the goal for every 12-year-old, nor for their parents to encourage them in. But let us consider the end of Jesus' birth narrative and growth into adolescence as a good example for all of us, no matter our age. It was this, even though Jesus' age in the story seems strange to us, it was significant uh, time in his life in his own context. Not just because it mirrored young prodigies like Samuel or John the Baptist, but because it mirrored stories like that of the Roman leaders like Augustus. Augustus, he was the nephew of Julius Caesar and was his adopted son as well. You remember hearing about him from our Christmas Eve gospel, the emperor that ordered the census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Well, before he was emperor, before all that, he was the nephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar and entered education early, as all prominent political and social leaders did in the Roman Empire. He excelled beyond the aptitude of his peers and became one of the most prominent leaders in Roman history. In this story, the Gospel writer of Luke wants to resonate not just with the Jewish or Christian readers, but also with the Gentile audience that only typically deified Roman leaders. In this story of a preteen Jesus, we see an important and subtle statement made about Jesus and his ability to lead, not just leading the Jewish or the eventual Christian people but all people, just like the leaders Augustus and Caesar would have done. This all subtly points to the fact that Jesus is meant to be the successor to Augustus, to all kings, to be king of kings, to be lord of lords. This realization was important then as it is now. There are a lot of figures in our world that claim the ability to be the greatest leader in our lives. But as Christians, 
We claim the ability of Christ solely to be our leader, to be our guide. Even though we don't have to have the wisdom, the knowledge, and divine authority that Jesus did, we are called to have the qualities he did in service to others. And as we discussed with our youth, our reading today from Colossians reminds us of many of these callings and qualities, nine of them to be precise. They are so much a part of our calling that we should be as much of what defines who we are as the clothing that we wear. We are called to be, as Jesus was, people who embody, who wear on our sleeve compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, and thanksgiving. When we literally wear these qualities so that people can see it on us, whether our shirt says it or our body does it, we are doing as Christ did in bringing the experience of God to everyone. We are embodying, we are enfleshing the qualities of our God for all. And this makes a beautiful community that lives in harmony in the peace of Christ that we truly still long for. The peace of Christ that means that a community that this world will not be driven by fear, because one could say that is the opposite of peace, fear. Many congregations, whether they admit it or not, are driven specifically by fear. Be it the fear of changing, the fear of not changing, fear of not having new members, or the fear of having new members, the fear of death, fear of life, to which we were all called in one body. In one body. Whether this be because of changes that are going on because of the pandemic or the extensive work that we keep trying to do to help meet the needs of this congregation, there are fears in our own place, too. But as long as we as a congregation, as a community of Christ, remain committed to embodying the qualities of Jesus, letting Christ truly lead us, this ministry will carry on. So as we celebrate this season of Christmas, let us pray for confidence in Christ's leadership. As a baby born in a manger to a 12-year-old boy talking theology in the temple to the Savior of the nations. Thanks be to God. Amen.